0: Four years in, the FirstNet program is adding 5G technology to the nation's first responder network, and it's been steadily building out coverage in the rural parts of the country. Here with a progress report on that fourth anniversary of its contract with AT&T, the CEO of the FirstNet Authority, Ed Parkinson. Ed, good to have you on.
1: Hey, Tom. Good morning. Great to see you.
0: Let's talk about the build-out to rural areas, because in many ways it's the lack of connectivity and coverage in rural areas that's been a bugaboo of first responders outside of the city. So how does the map look now in terms of 3, 4, even 5G coverage versus what it looked like four years ago?
1: It, rural is a key part of the program. You know, one of the key aspects of the legislation talks about significant rural milestones at every year and at every phase of the deployment we built that into our contract with AT&T. We currently now cover 30 million more Americans than what originally happened at the beginning of the contract. And that's, I think, one of the great aspects of this program that uh, not too many people know about. We are a dedicated public safety network. And so we're able to provide that dedicated always-on priority and preemptive service. But a great offshoot of the program is Americans are able to take advantage of the network build uh, for non-public safety use when public safety don't need that spectrum. And today, four years after we signed the contract with at 30 million Americans now can enjoy broadband services in rural parts of the country that they didn't have that service four years ago. So all in all, we've made a lot of progress. We've got a long way to go, but it's a really, really important milestone, I think.
0: So those areas that now have this new coverage, then anyone can use that bandwidth, but there's the preemptive capability for law enforcement, first responders in time of need.
1: Exactly right, and we've seen new sites go online in rural communities just in the last few months in New York, North Carolina, Oklahoma, and across the nation. We're live in every state, and it's amazing to see how we've been able to partner with rural carriers. I think that's a key component of this. The contract allows for AT&T to partner, and I think a good example in one rural provider is adding Band 14 Spectrum to hundreds of its cellular sites across rural Colorado and Nebraska as well as parts of South Dakota and Wyoming. So that, I think, shows the ingenuity of the contract. And that was something we felt was important to Bacon four years ago.
0: So to add that coverage, then AT&T might be linking with carriers that are already extant there. That is to say, they didn't have to build towers to cover 30 million new people.
1: That's, I think, part of the power of this public-private partnership. There are some new site builds, of course. There's new steel, as it's called. And that is providing new service in areas that there was zero service. But existing infrastructure is a key component of the legislation. We have to partner with rural carriers so that we could bring the power of Band 14, bring the power of First Network to the rural communities. And we can see that, too, with the expansion of our deployable fleet. That's another aspect, and another tool that we have in our toolbox. We have 72 light trucks. Uh, we've got three drones. We also have a blimp that was deployed last summer during the hurricanes in Cameron, Louisiana. And so these can provide that type of service in underserved, as well as damaged areas of networks where it's being reconstituted. So again, building that redundancy, as well as that always on priority and preemptive service has been a key component of what we try to bring to public safety around the country.
0: So the blimp and the drones actually can provide cellular service?
1: It's pretty amazing. The first net one blimp, it's tethered, it goes up to about 1000 feet. And think of it as a, a mini Goodyear blimp, right, that you see flying over football stadiums. But It's been used and the service and the propagation we saw down in Louisiana in the wake of those devastating hurricanes last summer was very impressive. We learned a lot of terrific lessons. You know, you got to watch out for wind speed, of course, when you've got something like that. But yes, that and then the drones that we've been able to put up and, and leverage. So what is exciting is we're seeing new technologies, we're seeing existing technologies, but we're seeing the power of the marketplace come to public safety's aid. And that didn't happen before FirstNet came along four years ago. So it's very exciting.
0: We're speaking with Ed Parkinson, CEO of the FirstNet Authority, and we should point out the FirstNet Authority is a unit of the Commerce Department whose main job then is to oversee that contract with AT&T.
1: That's absolutely right. We've got a, surely over 200 people in the FirstNet Authority covering you know, contract experts, public safety individuals who are spread throughout the country who engage directly with public safety. We've got a terrific team of folks, super nuts, and we've got great working relationships with one of our parent agencies, NTIA, we're an independent entity inside the Department of Commerce, and we've been very, very fortunate to have terrific working relationships across the board with DOC and with other federal agencies. And the federal agencies are, are a key component of where we see adoption moving. Uh, you may remember just late last year, the FBI signed a big contract to sign up with FirstNet. And so... We're extremely honored and privileged to be able to provide those type of services to other federal users.
0: And, of course, 5G is the technology on everybody's lips nowadays. You can't watch television for three minutes without seeing a 5G ad. And my own phone says 5G sometimes on it. I don't know what I'm getting out of it, but it says it on there. And what is the 5G progress so far? What does it look like for the FirstNet network?
1: We've always talked about being fast followers. Public safety has to rely and know the technology that they're using is one that they can trust with their lives. That's the standard that we at FirstNet use. And so understanding what is happening in the commercial marketplace and being fast followers to where the commercial trends are going has been a strategy that we've used at FirstNet. And so adopting the AT&T millimeter wave spectrum that's out there right now and is being leveraged by public safety in 38 cities as well as 20 additional venues across the country has been very, very exciting development. We've made our first investments last summer into upgrading our core so that it's going to be 5G ready. And so we're taking those necessary steps that will ensure public safety on the first net network has 5G when they need it.
0: Okay. And uh, do you also track the usage of the network as it exists at a given moment? And what are the trends there in terms of bandwidth used or numbers of users at a given time? Because, say, if you get something like the FBI signing on, you probably can see that manifest in you know the meters of who's using the firstnet network.
1: Oh, it's a great question, Tom. I think it, the the important stat to remember here is our band fourteen spectrum, as well as the entire suite of LTE spectrum, and now the five G millimeter wave spectrum, and hopefully more coming to Firstnet in the future. That pipe through which all that data traffic flows—that is a, just an enormous pipe. That public safety always has that HOV lane fast pass ticket to the front of the line. And so they're never going to struggle in terms of priority and preemptive. We saw that across the country. You know, just a few weeks ago when that tragedy occurred out in Boulder, Colorado, some folks who are using the First Net system out there really did talk about how they had absolutely zero service interruption, whereas commercial networks really did struggle. So I think that's just a real hand example in a terrible situation of where public safety always can rely and trust that the first net system is going to be there for them when they need it most.
0: And if you're on Band 14, which is, I guess, associated with 3G technology and LTE is 4G, if I'm correct here, the bulk of the use at this point is voice?
1: Well, it's data, really, and voice is really just an application, isn't it? So the Band 14 is LTE spectrum and in time will be will be upgraded, but it really provides that foundation to the system. And I think that's an important part. Any sort of legacy network that's moving into a 5G ecosystem, 4G and 5G will interact. In the past, when you went from 2G to 3G, that was a clean break. 3G to 4G, same thing. 4G to 5G, you're going to see really a staggering of the technologies. And I think what that provides, frankly, is that foundational baseline upon which FirstNets provides this terrific service and one that you know we've got now over 2 million subscribers and, and 2 million people can't be wrong, I suppose.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, that you reminded us that this is not a radio type of system, but it really is digital all the way with voice itself being digital when it passes over the net.
1: Right. And I always use the example of, think about how one used the internet 10 years ago. Think about how you use your phone 10 years ago versus today. Think about where it's going to be in two years or three years time. It's going to be amazing to see how public safety is going to take advantage of things of technology that you and I and children today don't even think twice about. I have a four-year-old daughter She knows how to skip an ad on a YouTube video. I don't know if that's an example of a bad parenting on my behalf, but it just shows how it's going to be built into the psyche of the up and coming and the next generation of public safety users. And that's at the federal, state and local level. So seeing the technologies of commercial use that we all enjoy today coming into the hands of public safety is a very exciting phase. And 5G is going to open up so many doors that we can't even imagine. So it's an exciting time.
0: Ed Parkinson is CEO of the FirstNet Authority. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Appreciate it, Tom. Thanks for the time and all the very best.
0: We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA.
2: Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward looking um, development of styles looking at an individual figuring out how they did leadership and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn to perhaps emulate copy but great leaders they have more than one style i think i truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time so what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is Ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired others and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, Today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and Understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him it inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WAPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for. Um, three decades. Uh, I've led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service.
1: Want more ways to share your good side to the world? Donate Plasma at a Griffel Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at Grifflesplasma.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Zell.